You want to book as much acting work as you can, as often as you can. We get that. The thing is, you don't book acting work by focusing on booking acting work. The industry is more dynamic than that, and the art is more interesting than that. By taking you inside the craft, the casting room, and the business, and bringing other industry experts into the conversation, we dig in. We pull back the curtain of the industry and show you how much power you really have as an artist. Here's the truth. When you bring your humanity to the work and the industry, you become an artistic leader, the kind of actor who books work. Even after decades of working with actors all over the world, in our classes at the BGB studio, teaching, coaching, casting, directing, producing, acting, on set, on stage, behind the camera, and in front, nothing excites us more than seeing you express your unique artistic voice, humanize the business, and book work doing it. We're here on the podcast in our online classes at the BGB studio to give you all the tools you need to be a championship level working actor right now in an industry that desperately needs your voice and your leadership. Yeah, industry and artistry. This is the only place you're going to hear this. I'm Risa. And I'm Steve. And this is the acting podcast from the BGB studio. We are thrilled and moved by the response to the podcast. We love reaching actors all over the world, actors like you, who tell us that our podcast inspires them, informs them, and makes them excited and proud to be an actor. Yeah, but make no mistake, an acting career is won by being in the consistent practice of the work, week after week, month after month, year after year. Success for an actor is in the doing. So here at the BGB Studio, we offer the highest quality acting training for passionate, committed, talented, and ambitious actors. We see that kind of work transform talent into successful careers, and that makes us so happy. There is no substitute for doing the work consistently, and we offer the work of success. We are the home of your 10,000 hours. We offer ongoing and eight-week on-camera auditions, scene study, and workout classes. They're available now. So sign up now to secure your spot and get to work. Go to bramangarciabraun.com slash classes, or click the link for classes in the podcast show notes. We'll see you in class. Welcome, everybody, to Season 2 of The Acting Podcast. This episode was recorded earlier in the year, pre-COVID, and we're excited to finally share it with you. We find the conversation in this episode to be relevant, vital, and inspiring, now, in fact, more than ever. Keep listening and enjoy. Mia Schachter was born and raised in Los Angeles and returned in 2018 after working in theater in New York City for nearly 10 years. Her background in theater dance, casting, gender studies, and neuroscience informs all of her work. Her educational background includes a BA in philosophy from Columbia with an emphasis on ethics and identity. As an intimacy coordinator, Mia is among a new wave of actor advocates in the realm of intimacy, sexual content, nudity, and more. A pioneer in a landscape of film and television that up until very recently functioned without the help of what is clearly a vital part of production and filmmaking. Working for networks like HBO, Netflix, and Freeform, among others, Mia's job is to attune to the needs of actors and directors with scenes that include simulated sex, nudity, and sexual content in order to make sure that everyone is emotionally and mentally safe on set while helping showrunners and directors achieve their creative vision. 
She works with actors, directors, writers, producers, legal teams at studios and networks, costume and makeup designers, and production crews, negotiating everything from sex simulation choreography to nudity writers, to providing emotional support to actors in intimate situations. Just like a stunt coordinator, she helps make scenes look real and stay safe. We have also been fortunate in having Mia share her work surrounding intimacy and consent in our classes here at the BGB studio. And we're thrilled to now share her with you and the rest of the world. We welcome Mia Schachter to the Acting Podcast. Hi, Mia. Hi. Hello. Hello. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, so let's just dive in because I think... Uh, people will want to know this. Certainly we wanted to know what is an intimacy coordinator. 80% of showrunners want to know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because they don't. Go ahead. Right. Um, So very simply, um, an intimacy coordinator, just like a stunt coordinator, is there to make uh, sex scenes look real and stay safe. Um, In my realm that's usually emotionally safe uh, and less physically safe, though that does come into play sometimes, and sometimes we also bring in a stunt coordinator. Um, and, but, w- and when would that be? What What is the intersection? Um, like an assault scene, mm-hmm. um, rough sex, uh, a BDSM scene, something like that. So what I do is I mediate the power dynamic between a production and the actors. So whether that's like producers, writers, um, the director, I'm there to kind of buffer. I'm a liaison between the actors and the production. um, And I help the director achieve their creative vision while staying within the boundaries that the actor has. Um, So often there's a bit of negotiation in there. I try to stay out of the creative side of things, though sometimes that does come up if we have to kind of make slight alterations to accommodate. I also can act as an LGBTQIA plus ally on set. Um, if there are actors that fall into that umbrella or if there's content around that, around those topics. Let's see, what else? I'm an advocate for actors first and foremost. And often that means, um, making sure like for example if an actor doesn't eat before a sex scene Mm. i can tell the assistant director that and they will try to schedule the sex scene earlier in the day so that this person isn't hanging out until you know five six seven eight at night um not eating so sometimes it's just things like that sometimes it's things like this person you know, has a specific modesty garment request, and then I'm talking a costume. So it 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 really varies. Um, I'm a true I'm a coordinator in a true sense. So I work across many departments: legal, casting, the production, also costumes, makeup, props, sometimes, and then even into post. Because sometimes what happens is that our nudity or simulated sex riders are very strictly legal and there will be further agreements that I've made with actors such as cellulite as an example like we have to you know this actor requested that we visually uh, remove their cellulite so like that's something that I'll communicate to the post team and that will have that will come up on set It'll come up usually when I'm talking to an actor right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, I really don't like what my tummy looks like from this angle. And there will be things like, that's not going to go in a rider because it's not a legal issue. And we are going to catch some of that because 
if the camera's moving or you're moving or whatever, we're going to catch it. But then I will communicate with the script supervisor and then I'll communicate that further to post to make sure that things like, because they'll get the riders, they'll get that legal language. But the agreements that I've made with the actors are sometimes beyond the scope of that. Yeah. So it's all the way through, like prep into post. And that is so much, like so many of those things can be dissected. Uh, I just, I can't imagine how malleable and flexible you have to be to show up on set with a certain idea, be it a legal one or a conversation with an actor or an actor's agent or whatever else. And then you get on set in real time and they're losing light and we got to do this thing right now. And all of a sudden things are unfolding and you have to be so present and still advocate and um, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I can't imagine. Yeah, it's a lot to think about. And it's also, my job is a bit mysterious, as is like our emotional lives. It's not always visible. And so there's a lot of, I think, misunderstanding, at least for now, about what I'm actually doing, aside yeah. from standing around. <laughs> and so people, yeah. people, people, producers, directors, actors don't really know what that is. So what right. is the reaction that you get and some of the resistance that might come up around that because people don't know what you do or, 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 or can, how you can help? But I suspect also, though, that, that certain people don't know what you do. Other people, like, for instance, actors who have had so many circumstances under which they have felt unsafe yeah. totally get it, like, on a cellular level and are thankful that you're there. Yes, but they still don't always know everything that I do. Mm. And a lot of it is is invisible. Mm. Um, like, I might be looking at a monitor and just thinking, like, knowing what I know about this actor, they're not going to like this angle of their face, for example. I might, I'm not going to tell the actor that. I'm going to point it out to the script supervisor and the director. And the director might say, okay, let's move the camera a little bit or let's have her sit up a little bit or something like that. So a lot of it really does fly under the radar. And a lot of it also is is somewhat intuitive like it, it's it's not always so cut and dry or even like fact based it's kind of gut based <laughs> well, when you say when you say i i think that actor might not like that angle yeah. how would you know that what would what would well, be the process to get to that information just knowing what i know about a certain actor and what they've told me about certain angles like they might say i don't want to show my stomach from straight on because I have tummy rolls when I sit in this position. Okay, but they're not thinking, um, you know, what about like a 45 degree angle or like a 30 degree angle. So knowing that I don't, knowing that they don't want a full like dead on front angle, I can kind of extrapolate from that. Or something like cellulite. If they're worried about cellulite in their thighs, but then we see cellulite in their butt, for example. It's the same issue. It's the same issue. Right, right. They just haven't explicitly said it. So you're a director. Somebody is a director sitting there trying to make their day, trying to get the scene shot. And then now you're talking to them about cellulite and mm-hmm. tummy angles. Yeah. And so what is the, how, do, what, how does that go down? So I have to kind of pick and choose. Like there might be an instance where I see cellulite and so I tell the script supervisor, make a note that VFX can digitally remove the cellulite instead of saying to the director, let's move the camera. Whereas if a, if a director is really open to, it also, I mean, it's also gonna depend on like a day player versus a guest star versus a series regular. So say we have a series regular and the director wants to shoot from a certain angle, I could say to the director, hey, I know that so-and-so doesn't like their tummy from this angle, 
for example. And just depending on the director, depending on the role, they're going to be more or less open to accommodating, and that'll just determine who I talk to about it. Sure, that makes and sense. And so how do you get hired? And as much as you just said, you're, one of the things you said was your job is partly to mitigate the power dynamics. Mm-hmm. How does someone in power both recognize that they need this power dynamic to be mitigated right. and then say, hey, I need help mitigating my power dynamic relative mm-hmm. to this actor? What's in it for them? And what do they think they're getting outside of just like, let's be on the right side of me too or whatever that is? Yeah. Um, so it depends on the network and the project. At HBO, it's required to have an intimacy coordinator anytime there's a uh, a rider involved, which almost always correlates to anytime there's a closed set. Yesterday, I did a shoot where we had a closed set, but no rider. And it was just because it was sort of sensitive, intimate content, but not technically sex. So HBO hires intimacy coordinators for any show that's going to have that content from day one. It's It was mandated that they would be doing this last summer after um, after it went so well on the deuce uh, with Alicia Rodas. So at other networks, I'm often brought in because there's an issue or mm-hmm. kind of like a fire that needs to be put out or a problematic person. Or they're just sort of starting to think this is becoming standard, we should start doing this. And then it either comes from an actor, a director, or a producer. Mm-hmm. I'm not privy to exactly that thought process, but I I can give you specific examples. I know that I was brought on to a show because a freeform show, which is Disney, and so there was no sex, there was no nudity, but they were playing teenagers. There was something of a trauma that occurred. And so they brought, the actress asked for an intimacy coordinator. They were faking nudity, it was implied, so she was wearing a, a bandeau and then had a, a sheet on over it. But she had never done anything like this in her career. Was she a kid? Was she how? She was not a minor, but she was playing a minor. But a young, young actor. A young actress yeah. and, and had never done a sex scene before or sure. nudity or anything in that arena. And so she specifically requested an intimacy coordinator. I've had directors request intimacy coordinators or request me, you know, not me specifically, but a me and I've had producers also and I think I think it generally comes from the producers want to protect themselves directors want to make sure that they're not a lot of times directors want to make sure that they're not pushing people by accident I think that's happening a lot um, so being super careful yeah what does that mean pushing yeah. them by accident well I mean if you if you're a director and you want an actor to do a certain thing, yeah. no matter how kind and deferential you are, it's really hard to say no to a director. It's just really hard to look a director in the eye and say, I'm not really comfortable with that. Especially if you are a new actor or not a series regular. And I think there are a lot of directors who are sensitive to that, but also know that they're not their specialty is not making people comfortable. That's <laughs> not their forte. Mm, right. um, and so they just kind of want to make sure that no one feels pressured into doing what they want. Or kind of the other side of it, I guess, is that they want, you know, th- these scenes are hard to do. They're very vulnerable. And so they want to just do anything and everything that they can to make sure that the, the people involved are, are comfortable. Right. 
And are people threatened by you, though? And, and suddenly you're there now helping direct, in some ways, the sexual choreography and intimacy yeah. of a scene that is in really under their umbrella. Right. So I, I'm always braced for there to be some resistance. It just depends on who it's from. I have yet to be on a set where there was none whatsoever. Mm. Whether it's an actor, a producer, a director, a writer. I've been told that I'm being, that that people are feeling policed by my position, like not even by me personally, sure. but just that they feel like having me there feels like a reprimand. I think that that's a specific thing that would happen on a show that it has been in production for a number of years. They've been doing fine and they feel like they haven't had any incidents. And so now they feel like there's kind of an HR watchdog being sent to keep tabs on them, that I might be an inspector or, you know, really like taking notes on like things that go wrong. And that's just very much not my job. But you can understand how they might think oh, that because they don't know what your job is. Completely. Yeah. And what I'm learning is to kind of, um, I'm learning sort of the subtler, the subtle indications like earlier and earlier in meeting somebody that can indicate to me what they think my job is mm -hmm. because that way I can sort of combat the misunderstandings more specifically. Because what I've found is that no matter how many times I explain my job or how in-depth I do it, if someone has a particular set of fears about what it is that I do or preconceived notions about what I do or insecurities about how they've been operating, that all gets projected on, onto me. Mm. But on this show where I was told that I was seen as the sex police, they completely have 180'd. And mm. I'm now like close with the production team and we we work closely together they know kind of how to talk to me and how to ask questions and we problem solve things together and i think they now i mean i'm pretty confident that they now see me as a as a real asset on the, on the set um how did that turn around well you know finally a producer actually like i was just getting this sense and i was getting also feedback from various places that this wasn't really working mm -hmm. but i couldn't really get a clear sense of why or what they were what they thought I was there to do. And then finally, one of the producers said very plainly to me, we feel like we're being policed. And in that moment, I felt so much empathy for them. That's a horrible feeling. That's a horrible feeling. And I don't want to be making people feel that way, but I also in that moment realized this kind of has nothing to do with me. Like, I don't, I don't personally give off that vibe. I don't think I come into a space and, and tell people what to do. You're not threatening, um, yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. No. But I also realized that that meant that they felt like I, I... I just understood what they thought I had been sent there to do. And from that moment on, I made the decision to stop trying to tell what my job is and rather show it and let them see. And they, they really have completely kind of turned around and now I feel much more part of the team. So and you can be more effective. Completely, completely. Yeah. I, I really yeah. admire what you're doing. It feels like you're a pioneer in a lot of ways. I don't mean just the work itself, which is great, but like, cause you're walking into all these situations in which, sure, maybe uh, in particular men, 
in particular men of, uh, of a certain personality type, one might say these are broad strokes, right, who are the showrunners, directors, or whatever, who've had careers for a long time during which they were always centered mm-hmm. um, and directing other people and telling people what to do, et cetera. And you walk into that situation, they don't know what you do. Uh, they feel like this is some ripple effect from the Me Too movement and the overcorrection or like whatever whatever the narrative is. And, and I suspect you have to do a lot of heavy lifting to win hearts and minds. Um, probably work that you shouldn't have to be doing, but you're doing it for them. Is that exhausting? <laughs> um, is that exhausting? It's um, it hasn't been exhausting yet. I, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Yeah. There have been a lot of growing pains. I would put it that way. I think I I get very excited about the idea that I I am a, a pioneer yeah. in this field. There's there are seven of us in Los Angeles right now. And there's, I think, seven or eight in New York, and then one in Atlanta and one in Chicago. So this is like, we are at the frontier, at the crest of the wave. And that is really exciting to me. But on the other hand, I feel like I'm often dealing with the growing pains for the sake of all future intimacy coordinators for the rest of time. Right. Um, so, it's still, it's so new, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, just speak a little bit to that, how, how short sure. a time you've been doing it, how you got, how you got there and how all of you got there, Yeah. you know, to this place where now there are seven where, and when maybe two years ago, there were none, you there know, were none. Yeah. yeah. And so that's a really fascinating journey to this thing that is now becoming hopefully somewhat of an, of a, standard. Yeah. Um, and I can also maybe actually the way that I got into this might help sort of illustrate that. Um, so in early 2018, um, some of the people, some of the actresses on the deuce, um, went to a producer and said, we need a buffer. Like this isn't, this isn't working. Hmm. Um, we can't look our director in the eye and tell him we, we can't actually feel what we're comfortable with, I think is how it sort of came about. Because you're mediating so many different conflicting interests in your head. Like, you want to give a director what they want. You want to be seen as an actor who's willing to do whatever. Um, and then. And you've agreed to it. You're on the show. You've read it. the script. So, you've you been know, hired. Yeah, it's yeah. a job. Also, you spent 15, 20 years trying to get in that oh door my God. and find you're there. Like, yeah. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think actors also don't always know how much problem solving is actually available to them, which we can talk about later. But yeah. so that was early 2018. They hired a woman named Alicia Rodas, who had a stunt background in TV and also had been an intimacy director, which is what we are called in the theater world. Um, and they've the theater world has had intimacy directors for 10, 15, maybe even 20 years that were most, mostly kind of like self-starter people who, who kind of it seemed like it was kind of like in the zeitgeist and a bunch of different people were starting to do this kind of at the same time independently of each other in the theater because there was so much involved in the choreography in TV versus theater is very different. In theater, you have to hit your mark, you have to hit your lighting, you have to do it the same way every single day in front of hundreds of people. But in TV, there's a lot less sort of choreography going on. But so it had been, this position had a presence in theater for many years. So Alicia had been doing that and she had a stunt background in TV. So she started doing it on the deuce, and then very quickly HBO mandated um, intimacy coordinators on every show. I moved back to Los Angeles from New York. I was I grew up here. I moved back from New York in early in March of 2018. Um, I had been writing and directing theater in New York, very small time, and um, and moved back here thinking I'm going to write for television. 
So I started uh, this writing group with a friend, and she said, I have this idea for a romantic comedy. Would you be willing to write this with me? My idea is to write uh, a movie about a woman whose job is to choreograph sex scenes, and she has intimacy problems in her personal life. I was sold immediately. That sounded really fun. But I also thought, is this a real job? And how have I never really thought about this? And she kind of, we both were like, this must be be real. Someone's doing this, right? And um, But we couldn't really find a whole lot of evidence of, of it. Very and that, just to say, that's not that long ago. No, yeah. no. It okay. was a year and a half ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, so almost immediately after we started writing this movie, these articles started coming out about this new job called an intimacy coordinator. And we thought this was so bizarre. We thought we had manifested it into reality. <laughs> and so we were reading about this woman, Alicia. We were reading about how this was this new wave in Hollywood. And so we sort of had to completely restructure our movie and um, address the fact that this was actually a much larger, the scope of this job was a lot larger than we had thought. Then I got a job in casting on The Affair and we hired an intimacy coordinator on that show. And when I heard that, I reached out to her and said, can I interview you for my movie? And she said yes. And then I, um, I interviewed her, and at the end, uh, my, my friend left, and I said, um, I'll, I'll write this movie, but also, how do I do your job? What can I do? I'll pick up your dry cleaning. I'll be your intern. Um, just tell me what to do. And she said, I desperately, this was in December, of 2018, so this was almost exactly a month ago. She said, I am the only intimacy coordinator in Los Angeles right now. I need to train people so that I can confidently refer people, intimacy coordinators, because I cannot take, she was getting two or three calls a week that she had to pass on, and she, couldn't, she couldn't refer anybody to them. So she started training me in January, and, um, then someone from New York, someone from Chicago, maybe one or two other people who had already been doing this moved to Los Angeles. And then there, were, there was me and the two other people in my little training cohort and then the woman who trained us. So that's the seven of us. That's crazy how fast yeah. that happened. Yeah. Yeah. And riding the wave of the Me Too movement and consciousness in. And you know what I was thinking also part of this is and part of why it's, it's happening with such expediency is nudity and sex on screen in television with streaming platforms right, has more. changed dramatically. You know, we saw how Game of Thrones went from the beginning to where it is now, but all the stuff, like, there were no rules. There was no sense of what that was. Just more sex, more nudity. It wasn't just the old paradigm of Showtime doing <clears throat> softcore porn with those people who weren't really actors, or if they were, they were that whatever the kind of actor. But it's that's, like... That happened so fast, and there was no way to meet that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's this job is sort of perceived in two different ways. Like I told you about being seen as like the sex police, but it also goes the other way, where people think now that we have an intimacy coordinator, we can go so much farther. Wow. Yeah, and and that that is sex it up. Right. Mia. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I think that, you know, if we're if we're making art, we have to be careful not to make it gratuitous. Like no not sex for the sake of more sex. But if we're actually using it to explore character developments and relationship relationships and like who these people are and what their history is, if we're actually going to get into that, which I don't think we've seen so much of in television. Normally the sex scene on a show is, you know, the lighting changes and there's like fog 
in there and then all of a sudden you're seeing oh these people have sex with each other and then you like cut to the next scene in the kitchen or whatever whereas I think if if we want to start using intimacy coordinators to kind of push those boundaries then let's have conversations about what this person's sex life actually means in a more holistic sense for who they are and how they relate to people and how they express themselves yeah so you talked um, a while ago with us about how your feeling is that if you're there a director can get take four uh, take one because yeah. you're doing the facilitating of creating vulnerability and create helping to create into creating a, a time signature within which everyone feels free to solo and so they're more relaxed yeah um uh, describe that a little bit more and, and just so we want people to understand the benefit of mm-hmm. this help. Mm-hmm. so so because it yeah. feels like there's there's two elements one is the uh, perpetuation of this stuff like from the power structure because they're the bean counters or legal team is trying to save their ass so they don't whatever right that part yeah. of it then there's the actors and people who have historically not had a voice in our industry are feeling more agency than they have before perhaps as a result of the me too movement also um which is helpful for for them so how do you explain to the power structure that this is better for everyone? Yeah, more efficient. Um, so, I mean, I've seen it happen that if I have, if I come in and I have the two actors in a scene talk about where they're comfortable touching each other beforehand, um, and they get really specific. I mean, we saw this in class where it's really common that I try to have start these conversations, and one actor will say, uh, "Anywhere is fine," and that's actually incredibly paralyzing um, for the other person. But then something that was so beautifully brought up in class was that once I had, when I encouraged the actor to further explain in detail where she was comfortable being touched, she felt the feeling of taking care of her scene partner. I loved how clear that was because I think that that then prepares people to jump into these kinds of scenes and explore within these restrictions that actually make them feel more free. The same way that having lines can often be more free than improvisation. You can actually explore within, like you know where you have to go and you know what your um, what your vocabulary is, and then you can actually string sentences together. And so you can rehearse and choreograph that with them so that they can get to the work faster, more efficiently, both to, for the storytelling and for the schedule. Yes, but they're also then not on the first or second take figuring out how to touch each other right. and where is okay, and then you know, in extreme situations where there's someone who's really pushing somebody else, um, you know, by the third take that that's happening, someone is having a terrible time and they're saying, let's just get through this and then the, the, the performance is being compromised. So being able to have people get really clear about where they are okay being touched and how, like the quality of the touch, um, can, can speed it up. And then there's also things that I can offer, um, such as the quality of touch when someone says, when a director says, I want this to be rough, for example. Well, that's going to mean something completely different to one actor versus another actor. You know, do you mean choking? Do you mean pushing? Do you mean squeezing? You know, what what does that mean to you? Mm. And so there's there's a way that I can get clarity first and then show the actors how to touch each other in a way that communicates that. And then we can nail it on the first or second take. How much time does that take? It takes... Um, you mean the negotiate the conversation? The, right. Yeah. right. I mean, it yeah. takes 
under two minutes. Wow. Yeah. That's it's, an important point, right? Because yeah, the director crazy. may be thinking, oh, so you're sitting there for like right. workshopping this thing for three weeks. No, but Risa, you saw it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. and that was actually kind of an extended conversation. But, yeah. you know, you can do that while the second team is in there and yeah. getting lit. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not taking extra time. Right, right, right. Here's a question that I think is, yeah. is interesting for people like men like mm-hmm. me. Right. So part of this is, oh, the fog's clearing for us a little bit because one in three, one in four women have been sexually assaulted, they say. And so statistically, that's it, it, it's, it comes to bear against women more than men. Right. So now we're talking about a sex scene, for instance. Let's say I'm the director. I have not had that experience. I'm thinking, what's her problem? Why can't she just blah, blah, blah? Like that sort of narrative. Yeah. Um, so, But in this discussion, it feels to me like you have to do some educating. And then and from the side of the folks who, who don't necessarily get it, on the other hand, women, people of color, LGBTQ, Q plus folks who have you know borne the brunt of uh, of sexual assault et cetera more than most, um, are are they having to then also manage the trauma of past experiences um, in the context of someone not seeing them? Like it feels like a lot to navigate. Yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> yeah. Because um, trauma comes up. You've talked about that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and trauma in the face of ignorance too. Sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, I love that question. I think there's. Um, but I also just want to be careful not to sort of perpetuate this fear of the like domineering director yeah. because I actually have yet to meet that person. Great. Um, and I've probably worked with almost two dozen directors at this point. I've met one director who felt like I was the PC police and apologized to me for cursing a bunch. Like that's what he thought my job was. Um, <laughs> And, and that was actually an instance where there was a near panic attack due to previous trauma in an actor's life that was disclosed to me after the fact. And reg- even though I, didn't, I wasn't aware of it um, during the scene, I was able to recognize the trauma response and just reach out and, and offer to hold her hand. And, like, and it was the, the, the reason the panic attack was coming on had nothing to do with even the sex scene. It was just the way that um, a camera operator and an assistant director were talking to her in the third person, Mm. telling her to move down, but she was lying down on a bed and her head was toward the foot of the bed. So they kept saying, move down. No, the other way, the other way. And she didn't know which way was down because if your head is, you know, Mm. what, what, neither way is really down. So, so they were just talking to her in this way that was really disrespectful and really kind of objectifying. So even though the director didn't really want to work with me, that actually let me kind of be there for her in, in a more um, present way. And some way. of it is to know that just people have an ally yeah. and someone who sees them. And, and you're clearly very good at intuiting that um, with people, and that's an important part of the job, we would think. Yeah, and it's also, I think, something that is, is very elusive to teach. I want to make sure to answer your question, though, about what was the question specifically? Um, I don't know that it was as specific trauma. as I wanted it to oh, be. The trauma, like but just to deal with trauma's the trauma's going to come up, and also yeah. the ignorance of I don't get this. I don't right. know. I don't understand your trauma because it's not my experience. Yeah, I mean, sometimes because of my role, there's a little bit of power for me to just say, hey, um, I'm going to be looking out for a trauma response. If someone shares something with me, I can say that to a director and just without disclosing any information, I can say, just so you know, and I have said this, just so you know, if I call, if I ask for a break, it's because I'm seeing a trauma response, which I've been asked to look out for. Um, That's the only reason I'm going to stop 
um, anything. And and typically they just say, okay. Yeah. I mean, what are you gonna? How are you gonna argue with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be ridiculous. I but I think it's interesting too, though. I just want to say one thing about it because when just to tell our audience that you were in class with us recently, and again will be. Uh, uh, to help us through, we'll talk about class and some of the things that come up. But sometimes it is the case of a woman, and we'd love you to talk to that as well. Uh, someone says, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Right. Like this particular actor said on mm-hmm. Saturday, she goes, yeah, I do this stuff all the time. I'm good. Right. But the guy was terrified. Right. Like, so and it was a whole other, rev- and, and, and yet I watched you work with her and, and bring her to a place of acknowledging a vulnerability and B the fact that she was actually taking care of him because he was so scared. And then she felt relief because of all of her past history being brought to that and his ignorance or, 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 or vulnerability. Yeah. So something that happens and I'm, I don't at all mean to um, project this onto her, but I just very generally speaking, a lot of times that, that thing of um, like, I'm fine and anywhere is fine is a way that we don't state our boundaries. And sometimes it's because we don't know our own boundaries, but also, sometimes it's from trauma. Our boundaries get really muddied um, when people have violated them. And once they've been pushed, the the line of where they are can also get pushed. There's, there's a lot of evidence that um, people who have been sexually assaulted once get sexually assaulted again. So um, many people who have been raped get raped again. So you, it, I mean, it's a it's a hard fact to come to terms with, but that's when it comes to sexual assault, you're more vulnerable to it once it has already happened to you, um, and the reason for that is that we, especially, most sexual assault, I believe, is with somebody that you know. It's not from a stranger, and so that trust gets disrupted, and you have to come to terms with a betrayal. You have a lot of trouble trusting new people or even seeing red flags. People also end up, um, you know, sort of self-medicating with really self-destructive behaviors, substances and things like that. And people who are not necessarily really good for you or grounding. Um, and so you can put yourself in situations that are riskier than you were putting yourself in before a trauma occurred. Um, so I think a lot of times the, the feeling of like, you can do whatever to me can come from having your boundaries crossed at a previous moment. And you can see that. And so you try to get more specific. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think that that's always or even usually what's going on, but I think that that's just an important point that we don't always think about the recurrence of these traumas. Um, but when the, like, then when I turned to the, the group and I said, what did the difference feel like to you when you watched her say, uh, anywhere is fine versus when you watched her explain very clearly. And there was someone in the group who said, when you said anywhere is fine, I was scared for you. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So that, I think, 
just perfectly kind of mm. explains why getting sp- and 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 I know that most people are saying anywhere is fine because they're trying to be a good sport. They're just trying to be flexible, but it's actually not helpful, you know. And the same way that like in in an improv scene to an audience it looks like this is completely unstructured and completely random and these people are frightening geniuses who pull these stories out of thin air. But really, when you take an improv class, you start with these really little baby steps. You get comfortable with the rules. You build trust. And then improv is pretty systematic. And you also learn to trust yourself because you're working within a framework. And I think the same thing happens with these scenes. People say, like, is it going to, having an intimacy coordinator or choreographing it or rehearsing it going to take the spontaneity out of it? And I think it's the complete opposite. Sure. And I think that, you know, that's true of every aspect of yeah. the business and, and art. That and you creativity. need structure yeah. to yeah. create fluidity. Yeah. Right. If you say, like, write three pages, I am going to be completely paralyzed. If you give me a prompt <laughs> right. and you say, write three pages on this topic or on this experience, I'm going to have a way easier time starting. Yeah. And yeah. what's interesting is, like, you know, you make the parallel between a, a fight choreographer, a stunt choreographer, right, which is uh, historically a macho sort of thing, so everyone yes. gets it, right? And, well, we want to make sure actors and don't get hurt. you can see it. You can see fight choreography very, very clearly. Right, that's right, and 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 yet it's the same principle, right? Let's create some boundaries so that people aren't injured. Like it's right. the same. Well, and process. there's loads of research at this point that shows that um, your brain can't distinguish between physical and emotional pain. Hmm. Your brain experiences it the same way, and often there, because there are no visible scars from emotional trauma, we don't tend to those injuries we um we can't see when we've recovered from them and we often don't at all we often just don't even address them but that's exactly why like a stunt coordinator if you see a bruise or you see a broken bone or you feel a sprain or something or somebody knows it says hey my knee is sensitive because yeah yes. I have surgery right it's really easy to protect that person it's also really easy to you know sue somebody for screwing it up yeah yeah but um with emotional trauma, it's completely invisible. And I think that sort of goes back to the reason why my role is sometimes like people don't get it or they think that I'm just standing around doing nothing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and when you talk about, you know, an actor understanding what their boundaries are and what they can ask for and learning that, talk a little bit about an actor's self-advocacy. Because sure. most actors and our audience is um, a lot of actors don't really understand what they're allowed to do and we can talk a little bit about right. negotiating that ahead of time what happens when you get there when the rules change when you, you know all of that and this yeah. is in the context of like an actor getting an audition at a certain time and there's something really important in their life and they will say i can't do that really important life thing because i wouldn't dare ask my agent to move that because what if they think that i'm not all in you know right. then they show up on set to a certain extent the belly of the beast where they feel like they have to do good they have to be amazing here yeah I mean that just makes me think of like the sort of the way that this art industry really doesn't give people a choice in whether or not to be desperate when it comes to work there's a sort of self-flagellation that's involved with that there's like a self-deprivation that gets people to feel like you know well I gave up I you know self-sacrificing um and then this idea of like who deserves the job more, who gave up more. I mean, that I don't know how to 
how to address that or fix that. But once you have the job or even casting when you're negotiating what you're willing to do, I think that there is a huge misunderstanding about how much, like, will you do nudity is not a yes or no question. You can say, I will do nudity from the side. I will do implied nudity. I will do nudity excluding nipple. I will, um, you know, three-quarter angle is great, but not flat on my butt crack. You know, like a lot of people don't want their butt crack to be on television. I've learned that's a pretty common one. Um, but they're fine from the side or they're fine even like above a certain area, you know, like butt cleavage is a word that I learned, right, yeah. a term. Um, but one thing that actors can do and I encourage them to do is to call your agent or manager and say, I will do simulated sex and or nudity um, with an intimacy coordinator and it can start, you can start to negotiate intimacy coordinators into your contracts. Um, that way when you get hired, they know they have to budget for an intimacy coordinator. Um, they also will slowly start to learn that this is a thing that just needs to be standard or offered, but that also you can negotiate once you've gotten the job actually you can say like i i've met actors who will do simulated sex and they'll do nudity but not at the same time like that's hmm. one that never would have occurred to me before i started but if you it. agree because we we've talked about this and yeah. if you agree to do something you say yeah i'll do this i will uh it's all very specifically negotiated or discussed and yeah. you're not a big fancy actor on the show and you say i'll agree to this but then you get there and you change your mind right and then it holds up production because they all said but you signed this thing or you agreed to this what is that about and what are the conditions under which people can change their mind and do and how does that impact things yeah so legally consent can be withdrawn um it has to be reversible it has to be freely given and reversible um so an actor can change their mind but that's also going to affect their reputation and you, the production also has the right to replace them. So, but what I think is, or what I'm hopeful will sort of change is that actors won't, <laughs> I have to imagine that in the case of an actor getting a job, taking a job, knowing what they're getting themselves into, and then they get to set and they change their mind. I don't think that people do that flippantly. I have to imagine that maybe there was someone on set who creeped them out or started hitting on them or touched them um, in, you know, not sexually, but in a way that made them uncomfortable. Or they were talked to a certain way, they like you managed, to a certain or, way. Yeah, or the yeah. set wasn't cleared or any of that stuff. But, right. but maybe their agent pressured them into it too. Or maybe, like yeah. There's, there's yeah. pressure from yeah, the outside yeah, also. Yeah. 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 Um, or like the example that I gave in class was that, um, you know, you may not have known that you may have agreed to be naked on screen, but you didn't realize you were going to be um, getting body makeup applied by a male and a female makeup artist in a trailer full of other people. So what I then did for an actress in that circumstance was I said, we will get you a flag so you'll have your own private section of the trailer. And so I think having an intimacy coordinator on set advocating for actors in that way can help prevent that, actually. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. And get to the core of it. Like, I think by the time it gets back to you, it's probably like... You as a casting director. You as a casting Lisa. director, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's probably like, 
there's it's probably pretty out of context and you're not getting the full story well i mean i had an incident where somebody agreed to do upper frontal nudity it was all very clearly organized and clear and she was there as a day player um a one day guest and she got to the set and she got scared she just got scared yeah and and there was nobody there to advocate for her, but nobody was doing anything to her she hadn't even she just arrived right and then when she was handed her contract and the sign because i got stuff signed ahead of time i learned this was on masters of sex and i wish you had been there all those years because I would have made my job a lot easier yeah. than a lot of other people's, even though that was a wonderful show in terms of people taking care of each other, and it came from the top in terms of the showrunners and also the, the stars of the show. But there was still, there was a lot of sex, and there was a lot of simulated sex and a lot of nudity, and that was you know part of the point of it. But then someone shows up and she says, I'm scared, I'm not going to do this, and she just shuts down. Right. And the part was insignificant you know, in some ways, and I got the call, she won't do this, talk her into it, or get us another actor, she's supposed to be shooting in two hours, and so I tried to renegotiate with her, but she wouldn't have it, Mm -hmm. and um, there was, it was just, she just got scared, and there was no, now, you might have been able to have changed that, or you might have had to have said, you know what, this is what it is, she's changing her mind, it pissed me off, because I had to stop my day, find another actor, get them to the set, she, her people demanded she get paid, and, and on and on, and so. But I, I wonder tricky. whether you know, as a culture change, which is hopefully what which you know, is that's what, what you're is, advocating yeah. for, yeah. Right? that 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 actor, you can start from that actor asking these questions, which are so important that yeah. I would never think to have asked, you know, in, over various things beyond just sex and sexuality. Sure. When I was pursuing an acting career, like, what am I comfortable with? Right. Like, largely, you shut your mouth and you go where you're told to go because if you don't, right. then it won't work in this and industry. She didn't have any advocacy, self advocacy, because she didn't know. Right. that she could. So, yeah. so that question then is, without an intimacy coordinator, like let's say as you're a co-star on this show and you're treated as such because you're feeling the hierarchy coming at you, yeah. you're not really being considered as much as the other actors, what sort of advocacy do you have knowing that that actor's probably going to feel like they can't rock the boat too, too much or they'll be replaced? Yeah, I mean, I, I just wonder if, in a very basic way, if she knew that the set would be closed, for example. Like, right. a lot of actors don't know that. Or even know what a closed set is. Or know what it is. And there are some rule definitions. There's of, different closed sets. Right. And right. then there's a closed set where it's closed, but then everybody's watching on monitors in yeah, other yeah. rooms. Right. Like, is that really closed? Right. And or, does closed mean no cam- n- nobody there except absolutely essential personnel who are the essential personnel? Right, right. And how are they engaging with you how are they i mean i just watched a cameraman yesterday say to a a day player you know lean forward no less more less um okay that's what you're gonna do and who the hell was he to say that to an actor let alone in that tone right and this was not I wasn't even involved in this part of the scene. So I was kind of witnessing this thinking like, where does my job end and where can I, and he and I are kind of friendly. So I was kind of thinking like maybe next time I sit down with him at lunch, I would just see how I could sort of broach the subject, but it's certainly outside of the purview of my job. As, but, as an actor, I remember, and I only remember it now, and, and I shirked my responsibility, or was ignorant of my, my responsibility to, to advocate for these women, but there's maybe two or three instances when I pursued an acting career where there was a woman who was on set who was either going to be partially nude or, or in lingerie or something, and I remember clearly the walk, the walk in with the robe onto set, and, I, and in my head, I'm sort of seeing it differently of like, 
realizing how much armor was required to do that in front of the entire crew, all either looking or pretending to not look, but looking. And mostly men. And, and mostly men. Oh, uh, right. like, I mean, 90% or more yeah. men. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what that must be like. And, and how can we create a situation where that's easier for those actors? And why the hell wouldn't we? Because it's better for everybody, better for the work. And it know? gets, yeah, it gets a better performance. I mean, I don't want to gloss over your question about what actors can do to advocate yeah. for themselves. So um, I think the the main thing that I would suggest, and again, this is a little bit, elusive I would say find a buddy whether it's one of the ADs just someone that you kind of connect with and that's again going to be checking in with your gut and your intuition who is making eye contact with you who seems to have a demeanor and a warmth on this set it might be the costumer who has your robe it might be your the person who's doing your hair it just it's going to be somebody and just kind of identify that person as your like comfort rock pillar and if, if there's no intimacy coordinator that is um but okay so I just had a, I had an instance on our show last week where we were doing a scene in a brothel and so there was um a bunch of background actors who were doing nudity low on the totem pole and I hate saying that but that's how it's structured that's the hierarchy but my job was to be there for them so there was um, an AD who uh, was known for his uh, cold and brusque communication style and uh, and I got a text message from this actress saying you know I'm feeling very kind of kicked around and not really heard and I'm not feeling super comfortable you've been great but this and this and this where were you at the time I was on set okay so I found her and I just was able to say like this is not you you've she said hey it's me the the troublemaker from yesterday you know just feeling really awful about her position and I said you're not a troublemaker um I'm very sorry that you were spoken to that way and you're not the only one and this had nothing to do with you. So I don't want you to feel like this was, um, you know, you, that you were singled out for this. And then I think she felt more comfortable to do what she had to do because really more than anything that I said, I think it was that a connection was established. Mm. I think that was really the, the And she could express point. herself. And she could express, yeah, and, and I yeah. listened to her. I mean, mm. I don't think that it takes a whole lot more than that, but I also kind of looked around this set and I loved this crew, everyone on this crew and, and in the cast was phenomenal, like from the top down. But I really don't know who else could have done that. Just, mm. you know, and I'm not, I'm not tooting my horn. I. No, no. Why? Why couldn't have anyone oh, have oh, done that? Oh, because there just else? wasn't another person who was going to open that space for somebody with warmth and with the intention of making them comfortable. And also, they're busy. They're they're, they're busy. And also everybody's got a job to yeah. do, and it's the last thing they're going to think about because they're just they're, there's not an awareness. So how can an actor advocate for themselves and say, "I'm not a troublemaker. I just want to be comfortable, and I want to be, you know, to be able to do my best work for you, mm -hmm. to be able to say that, you know, so, so that I am am available to the work. This is what I need for my comfort level, and to be to know that they can do that, and it's to be able to say. 
I can work more efficiently. I can I can be more present. I can do stronger, better, more emotionally grounded work if I'm in a situation here rather than where I'm comfortable and where where I'm taken care of rather than feeling like I'm I'm a troublemaker or the squeaky wheel or the difficult person. And once or, again, here, sorry, go ahead, please. Or being like shepherded around like cattle in this, in the instance of a background right, group. Right, 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 right. And, and again, to that point, I was going to say the same thing, that like here you are again, kind of trans, transcending the existing power structures in the scheme of things, in the interest of getting this shot so you can make your TV show. Yeah. The background performers are are not as essential, so says the, the conventional wisdom, to, to that. So like the focus is on the lead actors and then the guests and and the blah blah blah, uh, and we're filling in the background w- with the right. background performers, so their emotional needs won't be considered perhaps at all. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, yeah, they're all their comfort level, and I've seen that happen. And certainly, it, it nobody is. It's not that people are behaving badly; it's that they just are not aware of it. So, you know, I've had so many instances on Masters of Sex, for example, where it just it hadn't been thought through and suddenly but you know there's people humping in the background naked and they wanted you know plump bodies and so we've got two people and that they didn't know they agreed to do this i had them meet each other ahead of time you know they went out for coffee so they could say we're going to be doing this together which i just orchestrated because i knew that was going to be challenging and i knew both of them but they when they got there they didn't realize they were going to be far in the background doing it for humor's sake, right? You know, and nobody had, and and when I, and 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 I got the call, like they're f- both really uncomfortable. And when I got to the AD, who I knew well, who was lovely, he said, you know, truthfully, we didn't really orchestrate this shot until just now. We didn't know that was going to be the case. And I said, please, somebody do something. Help them understand why they're vital to this sh- shot. Yeah. And and they did, and they took care of them. But like that, it needed you to be there, and they didn't know how to speak up for themselves. And they were so scared. They literally physically clung to each mm-hmm. other because they were so scared and humiliated by what had what had what they were they said we were furniture in the far background right i yeah i mean i think that so you know maybe you just don't maybe you don't take that role like maybe if those actors thought we're going to be featured you know we're going to be prominent on the the script the script said they the script described it very differently than what ultimately happened and it was nobody's fault it just was a communication issue and then when it does happen who's going to be sensitive to say okay yeah. well this is what it's becoming now right. so yeah. we should just notice we have 700 things to do to get this shot in a short period of time what about those two naked people right. yeah the like they thought that they were sort of agreeing to something that was a little more substantial worth it yeah, in worth their it, mind yeah. 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 and then when you find out that that's the entirety of your role you yeah. think maybe i shouldn't have done and the that. answer to me was can you pay them a little more money yeah it was suggested not by was by one of their managers and i said i don't I, I, maybe but is that really going to answer the issue for them On the other hand, like I said, I've gotten frustrated with actors who would come into a casting session and and I would say, are you comfortable with this? This is what the role requires. I need to know before you, you know, or before you even audition or right after the the read. So they're not thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 yes. Then, you know, they're like, so we're sending you to the, your your stuff to the producers. You're, you're, you know, among a very small group of people. Yes, 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 yes. And then we're offering you the part. It's like, 
no, I'm not doing that. And that's something deeper with actors about yeah. like just say yes until you get the offer and then you can decide. And again, some of this is yeah. not taking that time to, right. to ask yourself the question and then answer what am I comfortable with, what am I not? Right, right, yeah. right. What do you think right. the future of all this is? Where like where are we in 15 years mm-hmm. with intimacy coordinators? Or even three years. Yeah. Right. Well, hopefully we're required on every closed set. Um, hopefully people, I, I mean, I, I would like to see us kind of integrated further into crews. Um, I think right now it's a little bit weird because our job is to come in and make people comfortable, but often we're brought in like on the day <laughs> when you're going to, and you know, I'm meeting you today and I'm going to be watching you have sex on camera. Right. Um, and I also see no two intimacy coordinators are alike. So, you know, the same way that you have stunt coordinators who have a specialty in fire or cars or uh, sword play, yeah. you're going to have intimacy coordinators who specialize in BDSM and kink and intimacy coordinators who specialize in LGBT plus issues and, um, and race and gender also race and gender sure. and um, yeah sexuality spectrum gender spectrum or, or you know people who work with uh, minors when it comes to not simulated sex or nudity but kind of content around this kind of thing like we're each going to have our own specialties and I would like to see because right now I think the way that it's working is people are like we need an intimacy coordinator period they just need somebody. And then what happens is they don't really get the right fit. Mm. And then they think this whole profession is nonsense or arbitrary or something or like that. Or it didn't work for us. And so it doesn't work. And it doesn't work. Exactly. Yeah. And there's only seven. And there's yeah. very few of us. Yeah. 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 Um, so but you said something about SAG also being in SAG. What, what, yeah, what we're that? working on getting into SAG. That yeah. really should be happening soon. What does hopefully. that mean? Well, meaning that we would be part of the union, meaning that we would then have a little bit more kind of pull when it comes mm. to these kinds. Of, I don't I don't really understand how that works. Um, a few other intimacy coordinators are, are working on that. Um, and I just, you know, when they tell me to join, I'll join. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it would mean health insurance, which would be nice. Um, I have health insurance, but it's terrible. So the future of intimacy coordination, I guess... I'd, I'd like to see, so I'm in touch with some people at, at um, UCLA about teaching, directing class, directing students how to work with intimacy coordinators specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that kind of education is, is necessary. And I also think that I would, I would love to see more, more integration of my job into the show and more of the stuff like what we did in class. If I could do that stuff with actors on TV sets um, or even with entire crews, I think that would be huge. Um, of course, there's like no time really budgeted for that, but I'd, I'd love to but see there that. there could be. I mean, we all on every job have to go to um, uh, sensitivity, sensitivity training, training yeah. and, yeah. you know, and, and sexual harassment training. Yeah, that as well. we yeah. all have to do that. Yeah. So if, 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 and sometimes it's very tedious and it goes on for hours, right. people talking at us. So if they if there could be half an hour of couple exercises like you did with our class that you're doing with our classes, it would be transformative. Yeah. I think. And 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 maybe it'll it'll be so who knows yeah can we just talk a little bit about class because yeah. we are, are are seeing that you know a lot of the work that we advocate for in class is that people be vulnerable right that they be present that they be spontaneous in this place of discovery and things come up that are 
that, that you know we need to know how to talk about and help actors navigate so that they're free and present and yet there is consent ahead of time. Right. Yeah, I think uh, something that comes up a lot with actors is the idea that, you know, after the fact, after you've touched someone or grabbed someone or whatever you say, or kissed someone, you say, well, I was just really in the moment. I was acting. Um, <laughs> when, when I hear stories like that, that makes me think that there's a person who really doesn't know themselves very well. And so that person was not able to kind of know ahead of time what might even possibly be their impulses, um, given Mm. the content of a scene. Or, in a really negative way, someone who kind of wanted to do that. You know, wanted to shock an actor, wanted to kiss an actor, um, a scene partner, um, and, you know, kind of manipulated their way into doing so. Without criminalizing anybody, uh, I think that's something that does does happen. And, and also in class, um, the idea of, uh, you know, asking someone to do a scene with you because you like them and because you think it's a way to get one-on-one time with them, mm. um, which I, I know happens a lot, I mean, from my own experience. So I would say, first off, uh, don't do that, <laughs> I think. But, but again, um, the conversations have to happen. Yes, the conversations have to happen. But, may, you know, it's tricky because I think a lot of us are attracted to talent, right? So when we think someone is very talented, we want to work with them. But we also might kind of have a crush on them or be attracted to them or drawn to them in some way. So I don't think that that in and of itself is, a, is something to... I don't think that's a bad thing. I just would say, you know... You you need to go through a scene and look at um, if there's a moment when you think you might want to kiss somebody or touch somebody's arm or caress their face or something like that. You're you are an actor, and I do think that the responsibility falls on you to at least guess at what you might want to do so that you're not in the moment pushing somebody past their own boundaries. Spontaneity is great, but you can also create a container in which spontaneity is consensually agreed upon. Absolutely, yeah. Better for the work, too. What? It's better for the work, too. It's better for the work. I mean, if if you're supposed to have an intimate scene with somebody and you haven't decided that you're going to kiss each other and then you kiss the person, that is no longer an intimate scene. It's going to compromise the performance because right. you those two characters would not have been shocked by a kiss but the actor will be shocked by a kiss mm-hmm. so i think a lot of my training talks about um creating this container so you can say to an actor you can go through a script line by line and you can say um how would you feel about a kiss at some point in here i could see that i could see myself having that impulse But I would also say you don't need to ever kiss in a rehearsal. We talked about this in class. You don't ever need to kiss in a rehearsal full stop. The first time you kiss in a TV shoot is once we're rolling. And I think even when you're performing in a class, if, if if you kind of gauge the room and you can sense that your scene partner is nervous about this kiss and you say, do you want to just... See, see what it feels like and get it over with so that it's not the first time. I'm, I'm all for that, but I, you absolutely do not have to do that. 
before you roll or say action or whatever. So much of it, I, I feel like, comes down to listening. Like, yes, and, and full body that, listening. Uh, that is something that I'm a huge proponent of. Not just listening to the words that somebody says, but listening to how they're saying it, how they're looking at you when they say it. Are they having trouble making eye contact when they say it? How, what is their body language when they say it? Like, there, when I practiced in front of the class say, sharing that um, someone had crossed my boundary, we practiced saying that to your scene partner. My, I shrank. I shriveled into a little shrimp, and I was called out on it by a student. She said, the way that you said that sounded very apologetic. And that was her seeing something that I'm working on, that I'm working on not apologizing for my boundaries, for my needs, for 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 being uncomfortable. I'm not, I need to work on not apologizing for making the other person uncomfortable because they've made me uncomfortable. Could I just say yeah. that I loved so much that you were working on your own stuff <laughs> as a teacher. I thought that was so vulnerable and so brilliant. And I think you got a lot of people responded to you because you were able to, to recognize your own process and that's huge and i think that that's a, a real gift to be able to give we have to remember that we're yeah. we don't we're not like magicians here we don't know everything we're all figuring this out together yeah and i'm not perf you know i haven't like done a hundred percent of the work i don't expect to ever be able to achieve a hundred percent and then like get past that point and feel like i've got this under control um, but to but, see you in process and to see you yeah. aware of your process was very much uh, a lesson. Yeah, it, it actually made me very emotional. And even talking about it right now is like getting me a little yeah, flustered because yeah. it, 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 it is something that comes up for me a lot. And I, I'm learning to recognize the ways that I do apologize for myself with my body language, without the word sorry, but, and, but by saying, I just need this mm -hmm. or could I maybe you know phrasing things as a question is often an apology mm -hmm. um, I've caught myself like I have a ton of dietary restrictions so every time I talk to a server I have to um, come at it from a place of um, establishing trust with a stranger that's something I have to do every single day of my life and and it's not just emotional trust I mean it's like my my life and my I like my health and will I feel okay today and I've caught myself I always touch I, I fiddle with um, with with my earrings with my jewelry with my hair like while I'm saying to them I I can't eat these things and could you help me and da, da, da. and I'm trying to work on not scrunching my shoulder you know just stating like these are my needs and and it's not it's because um, I think it's also very unattractive <laughs> like it's it's easier to want to help somebody when they're confident in what they need it's really hard to want to meet someone where they're at when they themselves are kind of unsure and apologetic of what yeah. it is that they need you, you know said this, you, you said this thing the other day and I like I want to just say it back to yeah. you because I wanted to say more about this you said being confident is an ethical mandate yeah oh shit yeah what is I love that yeah yeah um, that's something that's been on my mind for a couple of years now. I think it's something that became clear to me because what I was finding was that when I got insecure in a conversation, the, my inner monologue became totally self-absorbed. So if I said something that I thought was stupid, for example, I would stop listening 
to the what the other person was saying and I would get totally in my head about oh I, I said this dumb thing and how do I make it up how do I fix it and I have to prove to them that I'm actually smart and and all these things and then I would come back to the conversation and realize that I was completely ignoring the other person. I was completely not listening to them. I wasn't present. I wasn't even really being honest. I couldn't honestly react to what they were saying anymore because I was getting so self-absorbed. And so I trained myself to, when I start to have that kind of insecure spiral, just say, in order to be a good person right now, I actually have to muster up this confidence because that's what's going to keep me grounded in this moment and present and available to this other person. And I also have noticed that when we get insecure, that's when we start to feel feelings like jealousy, resentment, blame. We judge other people. We even pity other people. That's a form of judgment. We start comparing ourselves to other people. Like Those all are really terrible feelings, and, and they make us really vicious to other people. And they come out of insecurity. So whenever I'm starting to spiral into this insecure place, I just try to remind myself that in order to be the person that I want to be ethically and morally and for other people in my life, I actually have to be confident and I don't, I don't really have a choice in the matter. Wow. I think one of the really important things in all this, apropos this discussion of you also being in process, is that this is super messy and there mm -hmm. isn't, how do you deal with intimacy in a sex scene on set? You do X, Y, and Z. Like mm -hmm. it's, and, and we find this at the studio, right? Like in class, have yeah. we've done the work of trying to see through our own fog of privilege and whatever else and create more and more space for uh, different and unique folks to express their vulnerability, it creates these beautiful train wrecks of, well, actually then that thing that we've been doing in acting classes for 40 years in America doesn't work for me anymore. Yeah. And then the whole studio has to adjust, or the thing which is that's, great. that's exciting in a moment when somebody loses their shit mm -hmm. is actually not okay because right. it's right. dangerous or invasive or putting someone into a trauma response right. and I'm getting all, oh, this is exciting because I like that kind of right. work. Right. I have to. I have to be mindful of how to manage that. So I think what we've what we've learned then is to not uh, necessarily say, okay, this is what you did right or wrong. This is the right answer, wrong answer. But um, someone that said this to us a while ago. It's not you know uh, the thing that happens. It's how you recover and how you mm. uh, grow and create more space. Out so that, I yeah. think just living some of these questions and the messiness of this, I think, is important because it creates more space. Yeah, I think. Our um, are you guys aware of the the sort of um, philosophical idea of the difference between freedom from and freedom to? Go ahead, please. So freedom to is freedom to you know express myself, freedom to I don't know you know live a healthy life, freedom to have love and all these things. Freedom from is um, freedom from oppression, freedom from um, fear, freedom from danger, things like that. And sometimes those things are in conflict. Like if I want to be free to express myself, but my freedom to express myself hinders your ability to be free from oppression and hate and vitriol with free speech, for example, I can't call you a bunch of expletives and um, you know slurs about your identity because that doesn't leave you free from oppression. 
and it is traumatizing to you, free from trauma. So that's when I then have to kind of mediate my freedom to free speech um, so that we can both be free. Um, and neither one of us ends up feeling oppressed. So I think like that's kind of where we are at right now is we're kind of changing that a little bit. When we talk about like directors forever have been free to get the performance that they need, period. Actors have not been free from trauma and free from danger and free from risk. And now the power is shifting to more of a balance. I wouldn't say that the actors are now in control, right. but I'd say that directors are no longer free to do whatever they want. They now have to, they have to contend with actors' freedom from all these horrible things that have been happening. And somehow, hopefully, we meet in the middle and find a creative way to tell the story. Yeah, and I think, I think we're doing that. I mean, I, don't, I have yet to have, I had one director recently say, this is the shot that I need. And I sort of thought, don't you want to be a little more creative than that? You know, like you really need this one, one shot to, to, to feel like you're getting the story that you want to tell. I don't really buy that. Yeah. Well, did you say that? Um, <laughs> no, but you know, we kind of like worked around yeah, it and we, yeah. we talked about how to get that shot while cutting out a certain movement that would, um, show a part of a body that, that the actor didn't want to be shown. Yeah. So we, we worked through it. Yeah. I feel like this stuff is so exciting. Like, I do it's too. Because so, it just like, we're opening new doors. Yeah. And, and like, what is it on set now, even creatively, when um, more people are included in the process and more people feel safe to go deeper? And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's really exciting. There's awareness, there's collaboration, and talk about yeah. freedom. There's real freedom in that. And it's going to be difficult for some people. So we're talking about some of the obstacles and the difficulty in it. But as you said, you can tell deeper, bigger stories that include intimacy, yeah. oh sexuality, and even some assert, you know, challenge of, of, of aggression in that, right. in safe and aware ways. And that's extraordinary and necessary. Yeah. And you asked me about the future of, of intimacy coordination. I would love to see intimacy coordinators brought in even earlier, like into writers rooms. Hmm. There yeah, was, baby. yeah. I mean, yeah. to talk about, because because then I can say, hey, you know, okay, if you want to do that, let's get really specific about it. Because so often in the script, what it says is, and then they fuck. Yeah. And then it's my job to be like, uh, what position? <laughs> you know, just, just the basics. Yeah. What position? How do you want to shoot this? But also, like, um, how are they, what are they dealing with today? You know, like, and I, and I see it because I come from a writing background. Like, that's just a missed opportunity to get specific I mean you're giving these sure. people actual words to say and then when it comes to the sex scene you're like and then they do it so if you if I could be involved in in whether the plot has actually something significant about it that's sexual like like a kink or BDSM or something like that I would love to be brought in to talk about stuff like that with the writers to also just talk about like the power dynamics there and what we're actually saying or what we're saying as far as like if something is in vogue right now or whatever, yeah. or like, hey, I actually just heard about this toy, you know, I mean, whatever, my brain goes wild sure. that with those possibilities, but also to be able to get clarity from that point on and to say, to be able to say, you know, if this is what you want to do, here's how I see this playing out. Because I can become yeah. that kind of psychic person who's like, here's, here are the issues that I see with that. And, here, and then being able to talk to casting and to be able to say, 
like I'm familiar with our crew, I'm familiar with our producers, and I'm familiar with these directors, and I'm also familiar with the series regular that this person is going to be with. And then I could say to casting, um, you know, here's what I think you need to be asking these people in the room so yeah. that you're getting really, really specific about it. And also get specific about what the action is, not just, you just have them, you know, simulate masturbation and let's see how they, what, what their faces look like. Right. And, oh my God. Yeah. There's like so the, much yeah. left out of that. So much left out yeah. of that. Yeah. 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 And also, I mean, like a question like that, I, I immediately, I'm like, okay, well, do they want to shoot it on their face or do they want to shoot it on their crotch? Like that's going to be a different thing for and an actor. And most of the time, they just haven't thought about it. Right. Writers will say, "We'll wait. We'll wait for the director. We haven't really dealt with that. We know what we want, but we're just not there yet." A lot of things happen, you know. Sure, but yeah. then you could also say that to an actor, right. and you could say, um, and then if the actor has a preference or one is not okay and one is okay, then you could then go back to the writers and say, so here's their, like, they're fine with it, this, or, you know, the producers or whoever it is that you're talking to at this point in the process, and you could say, so this actor is amazing, they just want to make sure that it stays on their face and not on their crotch. Right. And then they can actually make an informed decision. Right. But well, again, it, it, yeah. forces, it, it forces the writers to uh, give themselves creative permission even to say, but what do we mean by this and why? And right. let's let's explore this, which what is so interesting. Yeah. Why yeah. why is it that that person's masturbating and, and just delve into it in in what I believe could be wildly creative ways mm -hmm. if they gave themselves permission to do that. Yeah, you know? exactly. In the same way they would yeah. do with a fight or yeah. something else. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Well, this has been really... This was great. You're awesome. Amazing. Like, just you keep are. doing this shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Keep yeah. pushing. I'm, yeah. I am. Yeah. Uh, I and it. we love having you here because for us, anything we can do to give actors some tools uh, and so that they can feel that agency on set, like, now we start changing culture yeah. at various levels, which is, you know, what we're all hoping for. Yeah, here, one actor, one sexual act at a time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Finding and maintaining success as an actor requires intense focus in your acting work. It's a consistent practice. But in a business this dynamic and this fraught with emotional landmines, achieving your goals also requires addressing specific elements of your career and your life. To be successful, you have to take a long look at what you want your career to look like and what practical daily steps you're taking to get there. And you have to be taking responsibility for the mental and emotional roadblocks that keep you from success. So to make sure the work gets done, we offer career coaching and life design coaching. It's via Skype and Zoom for actors all over the world. In our career coaching sessions, you'll find ways to let go of guilt, doubt, fear, regret, and powerlessness, embrace your gifts, and come up with strategies to realize your projects, to network effectively, to engage with your representatives successfully, and to make money doing what you love. Together, we will turn the energy of frustration into the energy of doing and creating. In life design coaching sessions, you'll come to a deeper awareness of the emotional and mental blocks that stand in your way. You'll change your relationship with those blocks, and then we'll tailor a doable, daily practice that creates positive change in your life. It's awareness to intention to action. It's about removing what's in your way and creating presence and power in your life so you can show up for yourself and your career. So to schedule a career coaching or life design coaching session or a series of coaching sessions, go to braymangarciabraun.com slash coaching or click the link in our podcast show notes. And if you use the promo code podcast, you get a 10% discount on your first session. 
We love sharing this content with our community. We offer it 100% free, and it's our privilege to do so. If you're loving this podcast and are interested in offering something in return, go ahead and subscribe to The Acting Podcast. Then find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen to your podcast and leave us an honest rating and review. Your words will help us bring this work to even more actors and artists around the world. Thank you so much for listening and for being here with us. We love how this community shows up for us and for each other online and in the studio. Come visit us online at thebgbstudio.com. Jump into a class with us. We're here to get you into the kind of shape necessary to be successful.